when you're trying to identify who it is that you're targeting, you really have to do it on like a person to person level. So like if you were bringing them to meet up with a bunch of your friends, what would you tell your friends about this person that they're about to meet? You know, you wouldn't say, you know, they're between 20 and 40 in this specific geographic area and are engaged. You know, that's not how we describe people. isn't to live forever. The goal is to create something that will. You're listening to Perspective, a podcast for wedding craves, where we sit down often with a special guest and talk about our many years of experience in the wedding industry. Joining us today via the internet is Heidi Thompson, who is a best-selling author of Clone Your Best Clients, which funnily enough is the topic for today's episode. She's also the founder of Evolve Your Wedding Business, where she specializes in business and marketing strategy for wedding professionals. She also does a podcast titled The Same Thing, which you should definitely check out. This episode is going to be great. If you're having trouble with booking the style of weddings and couples you want, you'll also be finding out what's really important for connecting and marketing to said couples. So keep listening. This episode is, of course, sponsored by With Jack. Hello, Ashley. How you doing? However, in the meantime, Greg, and you're going to hate me, but what are we drinking? We are drinking a coffee that I don't know too much about. It came from a friend of ours called Lee Phillips. He brought it into the office when we weren't here, but I think it's called Drink the Hustle. No, Greg, this is the Skygrounds. Oh, you've brewed up the wrong stuff. I have brewed up the wrong stuff. Oh my goodness. <sighs> Scrap that then. <laughs> so and we're, we we're drinking some Sky Coffee again here. Heidi, what are you drinking I got regular old boring coffee, but I, I got some French vanilla creamer, so it's a little something. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. I like that. Bit of luxury in there. <laughs> uh, so, how, so how was your, your weekend? Very chill. I didn't do a whole lot, and it was actually really, really nice. Just kind of relax, do some stuff I need to do around the house, and just kind of not do anything. It was nice to kind of turn off. Mm -hmm. yes it always feels nice to be able to do that as well uh we've been kind of busy over here yeah we delivered an elopement that we filmed at the first of april yeah so we delivered that at the weekend to the couple and instantly they replied and were like oh my god can we share this everywhere like yeah go share share (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's exactly what you want instagram and facebook was buzzing with lots of comments from their friends and family Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. H- have you ever been to Scotland at all? I haven't been to Scotland. I lived in England for six years, but I never made it up to Scotland, actually. Oh, okay. So where, where about in England did you live? Uh, right near Cambridge. Ah, right. Okay, nice. okay, okay. And, and and Scotland never drew you up with its mystery? and. I mean, it's actually, it is on my list of places to visit. I mm. never made, I don't know why. I don't know why it was. I think the furthest <laughs> north I made it was actually Manchester. Okay. So not too far up either. Yeah. Uh, but that's cool. That means there's more of the country to, to discover once you're, once you're back over here. Yeah. But yeah, so so the alumni that we did, it's kind of interesting because, I mean, I, I don't know if you've like checked out Scotland on like Instagram or, or whatever, but you tend to see the same kind of places, you know, Glencoe, Sky, mm-hmm. yeah, all, all these kind of places. But we were shooting in a lesser known spot, um, certainly away from... 
Instagram's eyes, I would say. Yeah, it was a place yeah. a place called Corrifee, which is sort of it's the Angus sort of area, Perth, Dundee sort of thing. But it was amazing because the couple love going out walks and this place meant something to them because they were just out a walk one day with their dog and the bride decided to propose to her groom at this exact spot. Mm. And now later on they're getting married at that same spot. Yeah. So it was really cool. And I could see why they got engaged there because it's honestly it's stunning. So you kind of start the day, you get ready, they hopped in the van and um, they headed for the, the, the kind of start of the walk. And it's about a two hour walk, maybe less than that. Not maybe, quite that. Not quite that. But um, it takes you up through trees and forest grounds, past rivers, and you end up at this amazing, op- like the, the, the tree's clear and there's this huge opening and all you can see all around are mountains all around in a big semicircle. It's like a natural sort of amphitheater. Yes. Yeah. That's the perfect word to describe it. And there's kind of like this platform right kind of in the middle. And they got married there and it's just so serene and it was wild as well. The wind was <laughs> the wind was crazy. But it was beautiful. Um and somewhere I hadn't been before. Um and that's one of the th- one of the reasons why I love doing my job, to be honest. Yeah, I suppose on our end of things we get to go on the day with the couple, but your job doesn't really involve the couple or on the day sort of stuff, I suppose. No, can't say it does anymore, at least. I used to work with couples, but not anymore. Was there too much drama? Did you move away? (laughs) Well, for me, I mean, my background is a mix of working in the events world, largely for nonprofits and working in marketing. So I'm a big marketing nerd. And that is actually where I noticed when I was living right near Cambridge, that there was a big gap in the market at the time. So this was probably 2010, 2011-ish. Right. Okay, cool. And I saw that everything that wedding fairs were doing and everything that the wedding media was doing was very like white and fluffy. And I feel like <laughs> everyone at that time was like taking a hard left turn into rock and roll bride, offbeat bride territory. Yes. So I took it upon myself to start the alternative wedding fair to bring together like these couples that were just so amazingly creative and quirky and different and vendors that were absolutely amazing. Like if they were paid on their talent alone would all be millionaires. But I spent a ton of my time coaching them on getting the best return on investment out of the show and that's where and it kind of smacked me in the face that not everybody is super into the whole business and marketing thing and that i could bring these <laughs> yeah. worlds together yeah i i, I obviously I can't, I can't speak for all creative individuals but i feel like with the rise of social media people just had so much information thrown at them at one time and they're kind of floundering about not knowing what to do in terms of like all the algorithms and rules and things to follow and what people are saying and doing. And I I feel like most of creative people are kind of having a hard time market-wise. Not only that, obviously, it's a very difficult subject to do, but they just don't know where to start. Yeah, I think there's a lot of overwhelm just because, you know, it's the double-edged sword of, 
there are so many things you can do, which is great, but it's also bad because then it's like, well, (laughs) what do I do? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you've touched on a bit of your background already there, but before we sort of get into the wedding and business and clients and stuff, do you want to just give us a quick sort of background on who you are? Sure. So my name's Heidi Thompson, as you probably know by now, but uh, my business is called Evolve Your Wedding Business and I help wedding professionals of all different kinds grow their businesses without going crazy in the process. I think there's so many places where you can go crazy in the process and (laughs) whether it's with the marketing with, okay, now I have all these clients and I have no time and how do I manage all of this? And my zone of genius is really working with wedding professionals to help them grow the business that gives them, you know, the results they want, the freedom they want, whether that's, you know, financially, creatively, in terms of their time, but also is this really profitable, satisfying business for them. I mean, obviously you mentioned 2010, you're in the UK. When when did you start the Evolve Your Wedding business? That was about... 2012 i think end of 2012 okay so so it really did come from seeing the wedding industry and not just business as a as a whole oh totally yeah so i had before i moved to the uk i'd worked a bit as an assistant planner and really enjoyed it but i noticed that what i thought i loved about events which was like the planning side of things that wasn't actually yeah. accurate. I really loved when I was working in, you know, fundraising for charities was getting people to these events, like the marketing side of it. So that really mm-hmm. drew me into the marketing world and all sorts of different industries, you know, both in the US and in the UK. But um, yeah, so that was a an immediate like smack in the face. Like I remember exactly when it happened. It was at the event and I was like, Oh, okay. This is something I need to think about because I <laughs> I know I can help. I just have to figure out how. And and how did that realization come to you then? Was it just slowly over time a thought process kind of bubbled away or it it was over time, but it was over time through taking action. So mm-hmm. through, you know, working on a one-on-one capacity, coaching with clients, uh, doing standalone courses, kind of getting a feel for what business model felt right to me and was getting the results for the clients. And that's how over the years I've landed where I am now, which is my business runs on a membership model. So I put All the courses I've ever created and continue to create group coaching and on the higher tier one-on-one coaching together into a single Mm -hmm. place because I found like my coaching clients need the education piece and people, my courses needed the coaching. So it just kind of made sense to meld it all together. But I'm a big proponent of clarity coming from action. Okay. In terms of like... The majority of problems that people would come to you with, what would be the like? What would you see most uh, like a common fault in most businesses? So, what most people will say 
is the issue is that they're either not getting enough leads or not enough leads are turning into bookings. But then when you dig deeper Mm -hmm. and start to ask them questions about it, Mm -hmm. 90% of that has to do with the fact that they don't really know who they're marketing to. So it's just kind of throwing stuff out there without a target. Yes. Um, I feel like that's what I've seen from most couples and uh, sorry, uh, most suppliers. um, And I think we've gone through that as well, being just, just throwing stuff out there without like a focus thinking that, okay, the bigger the net, Mm -hmm. the, the more clients you'll get. But I think it's kind of, it's kind of ironic that it's not really the case. Just, just out of curiosity, do you see a difference between the UK, the way that UK businesses manage themselves and the way that US businesses manage themselves in terms of marketing? Is there a difference? I do. Yeah. I find, I mean, there's obviously a big difference in tone. Okay. I think Americans by default, I mean, we're just more direct. For better or for worse. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We just are, you know, sorry, that's the way. (laughs) I mean, like you said, for for better or for worse. like. Mm -hmm. And I think um, along with that, we mindset wise are a little bit more, although we definitely still struggle with this, are more comfortable marketing and selling. Slightly, but there's still yes. the mindset hangups for sure. Yeah, I, and that's that's a common thing that I've seen as well. Like lots of people over here don't like the idea of selling. Mm-hmm. I find I, I, I find that kind of mindset really interesting, and I've I've never really known whether it would be like is it does that mindset come from the people selling and their confidence, or they've looked at their marketplace and and kind of seen the difference in how consumers are being affected by the sort of stuff that they're putting out? Well, everything everything that I've learned and studied about mindset is that it comes from beliefs, usually that you developed at a fairly young age. So mm-hmm. they're more like really hard statements about what things are and what things aren't. Like, it is rude to sell. Or selling okay. is bad or rich people are greedy. Like something very definitive like that. It's somewhere yeah. in the back of your head and then it kind of comes up in different ways. So if you believe that rich people are greedy, you're going to be super hesitant to sell. You're going to be super hesitant to raise your prices. Anything that could make you this person that you've decided is bad. Yeah. Okay. Well, and and then obviously you've 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 taken all of these ideas and you've written a book. I have called uh, "Clone Your Best Client." Yeah. So this book comes from that realization that the common thread was not knowing who you're marketing to, or knowing but knowing mm-hmm. in like a a demographic sort of way that doesn't really yeah. help you figure out what to do with that information. Yeah. So I've kind of noticed that there's this trend in like with photographers and filmmakers uh, and they tend to go after the kind of cool outdoorsy hipster kind of couple over here. You know, the the kind of couple who want to go into the wilds and have an adventure and shoot in all the kind of cool Instagrammable epic locations, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, I've, I've spoken to a few of these photographers and filmmakers and when you start to speak to them on a non-business level, you hear their interests 
you kind of get to understand who they are, their lifestyle. That kind of cool hipster couple that they're going after, it seems, doesn't really seem to fit them on any real level. So I guess the the first thing I've always wanted to know is can like a small creative brand that reflects its own business be completely different from those who run the business? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think they can. I think on some level there are going to be similarities. And this is where I like to direct people is when you're trying to identify who it is that you're targeting, you really have to do it on like a person to person level. So like if you were bringing them to meet up with a bunch of your friends, what would you tell your Mm -hmm. friends about this person that they're about to meet? You know, you wouldn't say, you know, they're between 20 and 40 in this specific geographic Mm -hmm. area and are engaged, you know, that's not how we describe people. So (laughs) even if you aren't, you know, a super adventurous person, I would Mm -hmm. think if you are aligned with that work and you're aligned with some part of who they are or that you like a certain thing about them or you share a similar value, similar belief, Like maybe you want to be that kind of person, but you're just not that person. Like you're the kind of person who goes and looks at sporting goods and you're like, oh, I'm going to get that kayak. And then you just don't do anything (laughs) with it. (laughs) You might be drawn to, you know, more adventure types. But I think a lot of times people just consciously or unconsciously imitate what they see without realizing that they get to choose who they want to attract. Uh huh. Yeah. In your experience, can people in small brands get confused with that idea because they're seeing so much? I think so. Out there on Instagram, and yeah, I think it, it's incredibly easy to feel like this is what I have to do, or this is what everyone else is uh-huh. doing. So that must mean it's working, or that must mean it's successful. And really, it's just kind of like a confirmation bias. Like you're just seeing it over and over and over again, and you don't, you know, you don't mm-hmm. know if that business is profitable at all. Maybe, you know, those clients aren't spending the kind of money you want to charge, but it's really, really easy with social media to kind of indoctrinate yourself, even without realizing it and just feeling like there is a right way to do it. Is the right way, uh, and this, I guess this is kind of a more of a general question, is it all dependent on the person's values? Like say... Like success, I guess it means like in in life general, you can have people who make a lot of money and they define themselves as successful mm-hmm. or the kind of the, the metric that other people use might be like, oh, well, I'm, I'm just really happy. I don't have a lot of money, but I'm just a really happy individual. And that's their idea of success. Is that is that the same in business? I think so. Yeah, I think it all comes down to really thinking about what it is that you want, like what's the goal here? You know, if you want to build Mm -hmm. a business where you have ultimate time freedom for yourself, well then certain ways of running your business are going to be contrary to that. You're probably going to be outsourcing Mm -hmm. more. There's going to be a different path you're going to take based on what you want. So I think it's really important to think about, and this may change and that's totally okay. But to really think about what do you want in terms of your business, in terms of the work you want to do, in terms of who you want to work with. Because I think we all kind of fall into this 
rhythm of like, well, I'll just put some stuff out there and we'll see who I get and I'll just do the work without stopping to think, is this what I want? Is this this, you know, the type of business that I want, the structure? Because there's mm-hmm. always a way to build things intentionally to get what you want. It's just a matter of figuring out what you want, which is often easier said than done. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. So before you can sort of clone your best client, you need to sort of know who your best client is. What does your best client mean to you? So the way I describe it is the client you wish you could put in a cloning machine and just work with over and over and over again. And you get to define what those qualities are. I would assume, and for most people, there is a, a level of enjoyment of working with this particular client, a level of enjoyment of the person and of the kind of work that you're doing for them, but also profitability. But you have to be careful yeah. because your most profitable client might be a nightmare, like not the kind of person <laughs> you want to work with over and over and over <laughs> again. So they go hand in hand. Yeah. And why... Why is it important for people, especially in the wedding industry, to sort of know who their ideal client is? Well, the way I frame it in the book is if you don't know who your ideal client is, especially at like a human level, you're essentially trying to, you know, shoot a bow and arrow at a target that you don't know where it is. Like you're blindfolded. So your chances of hitting it are incredibly slim because you have no idea where it is. It just, it puts you in this air of uncertainty and lack of clarity and lack of focus. And you can really only attract the kind of clients that you want to attract if you are intentional about that. And then you base your marketing off of it so that you become like a lighthouse you become the go-to person for your ideal client. So, I mean, obviously you use the analogy of how, how would you describe uh, someone to your friends? What what steps can wedding professionals take to find out who their ideal client is then? Yeah, so the first is definitely looking back at who you have worked with and which of those people you just think, oh my God, I would be so happy if I could just you know, shoot that person's wedding in a you know variety of different ways over and over and over again. Like if that person yeah. got married a hundred times, that would be great <laughs> for me. Obviously not great for them, but uh, looking at that and identifying that, that's definitely the first step. And then from there, looking at, you know, once you have this list of names, are you noticing right off the bat any sorts of patterns or similarities between them. Because sometimes you find, yeah, all these people are super similar human beings. You could put them all in a room and they'd have a great time. But sometimes you find that you have a couple different subsets of your ideal client. And so it's really good to kind of see, okay, do they all fit into like one bucket or... Are there like smaller buckets under that, you know, umbrella of the kind of person that you want to work with? So Mm -hmm. that's the first part is getting kind of introspective about who you have really enjoyed working with and how they relate to the others that you feel that same way about. 
obviously, uh, some of our listeners out there are actually new to the business. So if they can't look back, if they can't be retrospective, what kind of advice would you give to them? Great question. So if you don't have anyone to base this on, you have to make a hypothesis. You can base it on people you know in your life. You can base it on people who you think you might like to work with and target them. But it's really important to keep in mind that you can change this at any time. So let's say you make that decision. You start working with this kind of person and realize, "Mm, no, this isn't it. This isn't quite right for me. You can pivot from there and change that. This isn't you know, set in stone. And I think that's what a lot of people get anxious about. It feels like a big decision. But it's better to pick someone to target and then target them than it is to just Mm -hmm. try to generally market for a really long time and see if you can get any traction because it's going to be a lot slower that way. Uh Uh-huh. Can a brand have two or three different focuses in terms of like patterns? I suppose that, that that would be like a niche, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think oftentimes it's people who fall under the same kind of umbrella, but it can also be that, you know, if you're offering different services or services at different levels, that you're attracting different people to those. So it's important mm-hmm. to look for the commonalities, but it's also important to look at, okay, who am I attracting with this specific package? So, for example, I have a friend who is an officiant, a celebrant, and she noticed that she was attracting a couple different types of people, all people who would get along, but okay. the values were slightly different as to why they were coming to her. So, one group mm-hmm. was like her geeks. Her people who go to Comic-Con because she's totally that person. And, you know, the way she speaks and the references she makes reflect that. And people love her for that. The other group had nothing to do with that. They just really valued having an incredibly personal ceremony for whatever reasons that they had. This is something that was really important to them. And they wanted someone, you know, that wasn't just going to have, okay, you know, pick ceremony one, two, or three, and we'll go with it. They were going to write it from scratch. They were going to base it on their story. And there is like a Venn diagram between those groups and what they have in common. And that's where she markets from. You don't want to be wholly introspective. The, I think really the gold is in talking to your previous clients. I think it is the best untapped resource of marketing intel that any of us can tap into. And actually, it sounds scary, but it's actually super fun. Interviewing your best clients and (laughs) asking them questions to figure out what it is that drives them. Because Marketing is psychology and you have to understand what someone cares about in order to be able to market to them effectively. Yeah. So you're talking to purely the ones who you think are your best Mm -hmm. clients, not like all your past clients. Well, if you wanted to be 
crafty, you could also interview the ones you hated so you can figure out what not to do. <laughs> yeah, usually people like to stay away from those couples. <laughs> What's a couple of questions that you would suggest using in those sort of interview situations? So obviously I always like to ask things like, how did you find me? But I think the really interesting insights come from why-based questions. Like, why did you decide to work with me instead of another videographer, instead of another planner? You know, who else did you look at? What was it that made you make that decision? I also really like to ask, if you were referring me to a friend of yours, what would you say? Because they're going to tell you yeah. exactly the way that they are going to describe you and the value that they got out of working with you. And I find that when you ask questions like, why did you decide to work with me? What was the best thing about working with me? What did you wish you knew? You find these things about yourself and your process and your work that you probably take for granted, but are actually quite unique. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I do quite a lot of that even before a couple have booked so when a couple inquires was i like to try and get get them on the phone or in person as soon as possible so that i can then sort of talk to them get that conversation going and one of the things that i like to do is let them do the talking so i ask them questions and then just let them talk about our company and our wedding films and that way they're selling their self on you (laughs) i love that yes (laughs) And I think that's something we don't do very often, you know, like whether it's in the sales process or after you've worked with someone, we don't tend to ask our clients a ton of questions that could help us with our marketing. But if you, you know, straight up, let them know that, look, you guys are, don't tell anybody, but you're totally my favorites. And I wish I could work with you guys over and over again. So help me find the use in the world by answering a couple questions for me or hopping on a call with me. Who doesn't want to talk mm-hmm. about themselves in that way? Like, I'm so special. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Taking that tactic, you're not going to go to the couple that you don't like and say, so guys, you were actually the worst right. couple we've ever had. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah. Yeah, don't, don't be a dick about it. <laughs> in terms of communication, I... I'm I'm quite often I quite often see this issue or this question uh, or it turns out to be a debate actually a very long thread that people don't really seem to have the answer to so I want to hear your perspective. Creative people like photographers and videographers they always ask what other people are doing with their price. Mm. So there's kind of like the two options, right? There's like the show it up front or there's the not show it. And I guess I'm asking because it's kind of like with Greg's script idea, not script idea, but the the way he lets couples talk and sell themselves. What do you think is the best way or what the benefits to putting your price up front over keeping them concealed? Like, do do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, a ton. (laughs) Oh, okay, cool. So... I think if you are going to put your prices like this package is this much, this package is this much, you cannot give the price without context. So something I see a lot in my members, I do a website review every month and I just record my screen as I go through. 
And so often I find, and it's almost always with planners, photographers, and videographers, because they're the more technically minded ones, their packages mm-hmm. are very matter of fact. And the copy yeah. is not doing any selling for them. It's not selling the benefit of why you would want this. It's just, you know, this many hours and this is the result. But you are not mm-hmm. selling them what they want or something they care about. You know, they don't know how many hours right. they need you on site. They just know in a more amorphous way what they need. So an example I give a lot uh, for photographers, instead of saying like, you're going to be there for 10 hours. So we'll be there from the point you're getting ready until midway through the reception. So that when your dad has had one too many drinks and starts busting out his dance moves, we capture every moment of that. That makes me want to give you my money. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, Instantly. Gives you a reason to want those extra Yeah, hours. and putting so that at the end of anything that you are trying to sell really helps elicit what that benefit is. So anything, mm. you know, you get this in the package. Okay, why? So that this. So that's a really good yeah. exercise mm-hmm. to go through. And I think if you're going to put your prices on your site, that needs to be in place. It, it can't just be numbers without context. I do think that regardless of what you decide and, you know, different things work for different people. I absolutely think you should test it. You have to give people an indication because nobody likes to have a conversation where they feel poor. And how how would you give an indication? So you could say our couples typically spend between this and this and our most popular or you know, our average couple spends this much and our packages start at this price. You know, anything that serves as like a guidepost of, okay, I know that Mm -hmm. this is the starting price or I know that typically their couples spend this much. Does that need to be like an obvious tell? Like, as opposed to certain brands like, I don't know, I'm going to pick one out of the air, Gucci. You, when you hear that brand name, you think, well, I suppose, quality or high price. You you associate that with a luxury mm-hmm. brand. So I, I don't even need to hear or see any other information to to, to know that. Uh, that obviously might be because I've seen or heard of this brand before. I've seen people talking about it. Are there any, like, do you have to be obvious with, the, with that sort of tell, I guess? Do you have to tell couples that information or can you portray it in another way? Like with the fonts you use? Yeah, yeah, I think you can. But I think when you do that, when you don't give any Mm -hmm. information, you run the risk of the whole, uh, if you have to ask, you can't afford. If you've ever heard that. I know that's a, I remember hearing this when I was a kid, that if you go into a shop in like Beverly Hills and you ask about (laughs) the price, you'll probably get some snooty salesperson who says that. And it's like, okay, well, you don't know how much money I have. I just want to know what it costs. (laughs) I'm not passing judgment on it. I just need to know, is this within the ballpark of what I was expecting? Because Mm -hmm. if you don't have any indication, chances are people are opting not to contact you because they're afraid. And they may be thinking, because maybe what is expensive to them is like 10,000 and maybe your highest package is like 5,000. So what they are perceiving 
as, oh, they're expensive. It's actually completely reasonable for that person if they knew, you know, that this is actually what your packages cost or that there's some sort of some sort of indication because again, no one likes to get into that position and no one likes to be the person like, how much does it cost? Like, oh, then it makes it seem like that's all I care about. But really, I just need to know that in order to know if we need to have a conversation. So I totally get not wanting to put all of your prices out there, especially without context. But what I think some people do, and it's really strange to me, is um, they will not share their prices because they're afraid of their competitors seeing them. And it's like, but now your customers can't see them. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and that also sort of encourages this sort of race to right, the bottom sometimes. Right, and it's like, yeah. with, I mean, with your ideal client, and I talk about this in the book a lot, you know, putting yourself in a category of one, making yourself the go-to person for a specific type of client, then when it comes time to compare you to others, it's kind of an apples and oranges situation because you have the company who's perfect for you and then you have the other companies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you can usually command higher prices if you are, you know, seen as the go-to option. I think it does get really tricky when you start comparing though. And I think, yes, it's good to be aware of what's happening in your market, but it's not good to crowdsource your pricing because you don't know that person's business model. You don't know if they're doing like in-person sales on the back end. And that's where they're making all their money. You know, you you just don't know what's happening. You also don't know what their goals are. And you get to charge mm. whatever you want. Yeah. I think a lot of times we think there is an upper limit. And if you appeal to what someone really wants, I really don't think there is an upper limit. Like, look at some of these super luxury brands out there. They're selling mm. you. Yeah, I've heard that. Sort of- yeah, they're selling you an identity. So like, yes, <laughs> I will be this guy if I buy <laughs> this super expensive sports car. Like, they're not selling you a car, so it's different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's this sort of idea of, do you want to be thought of as a craft or a commodity? Mm-hmm. I've heard before. And it's like, are you, if you're this perfect company for that person, they're going to want to spend more. Whereas if you're just a commodity, they're just going to compare you based yeah. on price. And I think mm-hmm. that's why it's so important. I mean, it's important for your marketing. It's important for your focus to have an ideal client, but it's also really important for your positioning to position yourself in the market as a go-to person for this kind of ideal client, because you're not right for everyone. Everyone's not right for you. That's impossible. You know, even Apple, the most profitable company in the world has people who hate them. You know, they can't sell to everybody, even though they have an endless marketing budget. (laughs) So it just makes sense to focus so that those people are like, oh, yes, I need to work with you. Take my money. You are exactly who I want to work mm-hmm. with. You know, yeah. I don't want a videographer. Yeah. I don't want a planner. I don't want a photographer. I want you. I want what you create. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When people start out, they might assume that one character trait they want to like target is like air quotes, rich mm-hmm. people. They, they see, you know, the Italian wedding or They see people with, they presume people have wealth when they see these weddings, but rich people isn't really a meaningful way to describe anyone. No, it's not. It really isn't. And 
it's not it's not helpful in any way. And when you think about it, the purchases yeah. that you make are a result of what you value. And this is true regardless of how much money you have. I mean, you're not choosing based on your values because you can't afford things. You're choosing based on your values because that's how we buy things. That's how, you know, consumer psychology works. So if someone really, really values art, they're going to spend a large proportion of their money on it. Now, if that person has more money, yeah, that's going to be, the percentage is going to be larger because that's how percentages work. But that doesn't mean they spend a lot of money on everything. And if they don't care, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, if it's like, whatever, I'm, I don't care where my apples come from. I'm just going to go to the store and buy some apples. I'm not going to buy like designer apples that are, you know, genetically engineered in the newest most amazing way. Like, I just need some food. <laughs> so I think it comes down to like personal values and realizing that we're dealing with humans here. Yeah. So what are some better sort of terms to describe those sort of clients that are your best? So I think instead of describing them as the amount of money they have, describing them in terms of who they are. I think this is what it always comes back to who they are and what they value. So What is super important to them and why? So to give you an example, I had a planner that I worked with and she was marketing her business based on what pretty much every planner does. And that's saving time, saving stress, that kind of thing. Yep, Mm. Wasn't working for her. Yes. So she started talking to her couples that she did have. And she found that the majority of people she really enjoyed working with were Indian. And they were usually one of the last of like their siblings and cousins to marry. And they were so sick of going to the same wedding over and over and over again. And they wanted (laughs) to bring their culture into it, but they also wanted to bring their personalities into it. Mm -hmm. And once she started marketing based on that, everything changed because she was marketing and identifying them based on who they were and what they wanted. So so when you say everything changed in what sort of ways was she noticing that? Oh, her bookings went off the charts. She became the absolute (laughs) only go-to person for that kind of couple in her area. With Jack was designed from the ground up and is tailored specifically for creatives. Whether you provide a service like design, development or photography or offer advice to clients, With Jack is for you. It's focused on creatives. Insurance shouldn't be complicated, so with Jack has made every step easy. You'll deal with one form and talk to one Jack as you sign up, get covered, and move on with your day. With Jack is all about bespoke insurance for creatives. Simple. That doesn't mean more forms or faff, it means less. It's not about endless features and stale service, it's about one solid policy and the personal touch. Bye bye, unnecessary fuss. Hello, creative friendly insurance. Be a confident creative. Okay, so you've found your ideal client. You've gone through, you've looked at all your past couples, uh, you know exactly who you're after. And now you have all this information about your ideal client. How, like, how, how is that useful? How do you turn the information into an actual booking? Like, 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 what's the process there? Yeah. So really it informs 
your marketing. So something I think we often don't realize is that if you ask questions and listen, you know, like you were saying, people will tell you how to sell to them. People will tell you how to market to them. They'll tell you what was really important to them that really stood out so that you can bring this out more in your marketing. So, you know, using their words, because typically our clients are better at describing what we do than we are because we have this whole curse of knowledge from, you know, being involved in it for so long that it's hard to describe to someone who doesn't know anything about it. But you can also find out, you know, even super basic things like where are all of your best clients finding you? Are they all from a couple of different sources? Okay, we can double down on those for the next, you know, 90 days for the next like two quarters and see what happens when you put more focus on the marketing channels that are giving you these kinds of clients. So really looking for indicators of where can I market and how can I market? So the where being, you know, like, where are they looking? Where are they not looking? Where am I spending money? Where am I spending time that they're not even paying attention to that I can reallocate? And then the how is really, okay, how are they talking about what they want? Because we're selling a solution to a problem. So we have to be able to articulate the problem. That they have. Like I said, with the Indian couples, they want a, an Indian wedding, but they don't want it to be the same Indian wedding they've been to a million times. They want it to be unique. Yeah. So you can use their words to articulate what it is that you're selling. So going through the copy on your website, looking at how you're describing your packages, does that line up with what people told you? Do you need to draw attention to certain things that maybe you're not highlighting, but are big selling points for people. These are all opportunities to really like realign and refocus your marketing to point directly at that person. Does the where you market, is that going to be an obvious thing to discover? Well, I mean, when you're talking to people in interviews, you have their words, but If you want to dig deeper, there are always, you know, places online you can look. If there are any forums, Facebook groups, anything like that to see what types of questions your ideal client is asking and how you may be able to address those in your marketing. So, you know, some of the best marketing is educational. It really helps someone understand you know, the difference between a wedding planner and a venue coordinator and realize that, oh, okay, I thought I had a wedding planner, but I don't and I need one. So it moves them. One of our past guests who's a friend, Caroline Harper, she does a really good job of that in her blogs, Mm. just covering, you can see it's obviously things that she's heard people Mm -hmm. moan about or not knowing about, and she's just answering those questions. It's, well, it's what really they're going to be searching for. Yeah. You, you mentioned that people don't like to be selling stuff. It doesn't, f- like when you read her blogs and stuff, it doesn't feel like she's selling you inf- anything other than just she's giving you information. But at the same time, that's kind of like portraying a, a, a certain image of, of what she is and what she does to the people who are reading it. So it's pretty uh, it's pretty subtle, but I really, I really... Yeah. Yeah. I think think a lot of times it's, you know, showing you what you don't know 
because most of the people you're working with have never done this before. Mm -hmm. They don't know all the things that you know about what they should expect and how this works and, you know, the million questions that they have, but they're too afraid to ask. So that allows you to shift their thinking and make them realize the value in what you provide. So we recently talked to um, another photographer, Cole Roberts, um, about his uh, e-commerce business uh, called Cola. Um, And they sell like high quality prints. And he told us uh, about this one image in particular, uh, which became a top seller. Now the image itself, he said, wasn't anything special. Um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was that of an old train, wasn't it, Greg? Yeah, something, something like along train those lines. track or something, yeah. Yeah, but what he told us is that he found a connection between the people who were actually buying it, and it seemed to be that the image was tapping into a sense of uh, nostalgia. And on the podcast, I, I mentioned how nostalgia um, is a big thing for me right now, because obviously I've got three kids and, you know, things like... You know, I I went to see the new Aladdin movie with my kids. It was quite a moment for us all. Are there any other ways in which you can tap into other uh, connections with potential clients? Like, obviously, nostalgia is one, but after the episode, I kind of started to think, are there other ones? Oh, that's a good question. And what are the most powerful ways? That's a really good question. That's a great example. I think in order to... I mean, that was awesome because it happened on accident with that image. But in order to do it intentionally, you have to know the values of the person. And then I think from there, you have a set of things you can work on attracting people with. So like if, Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so to use a UK example, if someone is really concerned about where their food comes from and sustainability. They are probably going to shop at a place like Waitrose and they're going to spend more money on their food because it's something they value. So you can see in the way that that company markets how they elicit that. So I think it's really helpful to look at these big brands that have a ton of money to throw at studying their ideal client. And look at how they're communicating that. Because there are brands that are, you know, marketing to a sense of prestige. There are brands that are marketing to a sense of luxury or pampering yourself. And it's just really interesting to see the ways that they do that. Because you can absolutely apply that if the person you're targeting values that. Because if you are marketing, you know, to prestige and the people that you're marketing to don't really care about that, that's not going to work. So you do have to know who you're talking to. Okay. And I guess now that I think about it, I'm recalling something you said earlier about, um, you know, showing your prices and you mentioned something you said, I I can't remember your exact words, but you drew attention to the, we're going to be here so that we can see your dad dancing or something along those lines. And I laughed and that, that little line drew me in and connected with me. Yeah, it's a point level. of personality that you can show someone. Yeah. And, I, you know, I've just been thinking of a big brand image and how the big brand image can connect with people. But in actual fact, the little things that you say actually have a really I big impact. I think they're more important. 
it's amazing just how powerful the small it is and it's amazing like the number of people i get who come and work with me after hearing me on a podcast or hearing me on my own podcast and they feel like they have a feel for who Mm. i am as a person and how i address problems and they feel like that would align with them that's one of my best sources that's why i have a podcast Plus, I really like it, but mm-hmm. <laughs> but it certainly <laughs> helps that you know people are feel like they're getting to know me, and they can decide based on that: do they feel that I'm a good fit for them or not? But I think it's really good to let your personality yeah. show because you know someone can copy your style. Ultimately, someone can copy everything about your business, and it's the end of the day the only thing they can't copy is you yeah i was just thinking like there's nostalgia but then i don't know what the word would be to describe it but like yeah. the geek culture like you talked about the celebrant who targeted that sort of market of her personality but that's another sort of thing like nostalgia to tap into mm-hmm. the geek culture if, if that's something that's oh, to personal odd. to you yeah yeah totally it's funny uh i'm a little bit of a geek myself as greg knows uh I went to Austin a couple of years ago to do a, a, a wine party event with the actor from The Green Arrow. Oh, cool. I don't know if you watched the show, Stephen Amell. But it's funny, you, you see how even actors uh, are, are using that sort of connection because now he's obviously started up uh, a wine brand. And obviously now the show's ending, I think, for him. I'm guessing that's going to be a quite a big focus for him. And obviously the brand of the wine is... a it's been reflected by with the show like it's called knocking point and like if you don't know like shooting bows and arrows you, know, you knock oh. your bow anyway anyway that's smart uh so it's kind of a play on that it's a yeah. play on that character and they go full in on it and i really like that and obviously yeah so that totally is like yeah, i think thing. sometimes we're afraid yeah. to bring ourselves into our business but Ultimately, people do business with people they know, like, and trust. And if you don't allow them to get to know you or get to like you or get to trust you, they're probably not going to work with you. Yeah. And I mean, ideal clients, you can market and target to them as much as possible, but it's not always them that get in touch. And in some sort of markets, it may be quite seasonal. So there's a sort of limited amount of dates that you can fill. Mm. Do you have to only book your ideal clients? Or are you one for sort of saying, take on someone if, even if they're not your ideal client, just take them on, but don't show it? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. Hmm. So the way I look at it is when you have your ideal client, that's your bullseye on a dartboard, but you are going to attract people in the center rings. You're going to attract people in the outer rings and that's fine. You know, you get to decide, I would definitely gut check yourself with, is this someone I want to work with? And if it is, great, take yeah. them. And, mm. But like you said, not everything you do needs to be part of your marketing. Your marketing needs to be in line with who is in that bullseye so that you can attract like the full dartboard of people. Yeah, I like that gut check yourself. <laughs> A part of it is like, uh-huh. you know when you get the red <laughs> flags from people, but I've not heard the term gut Because you check. know, deep <laughs> yeah. down, it's like, mm, this ain't right. There's something, yeah. it doesn't yes. feel good. Especially, you see a lot on social media, don't you? But in the private groups, they're just checking, hey guys, do you think I should do this if this couple have said this and they're doing this? 
that's them <laughs> trying to yeah. get reassurance for the decision that they're about to make, which is picking a client that's not going to be yeah, their or they're looking client. for permission not to. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose I didn't even think about that, but yeah. But it is funny how how often that happens. What was that? That hasn't happened to us for a while. No, I've not felt any red flags for a while. No. <laughs> so if people want to find out more about cloning their best clients. Where can they find your book or podcast? Yes. Tell so us, tell us where. you can find my book on Amazon or and you can go to evolveyourweddingbusiness.com slash clone and then I'll just redirect you to the Amazon page. And all of my stuff, sure. my blog, my podcast, how people can work with me, all that good stuff is over at evolveyourweddingbusiness.com. Yes, and I would totally recommend going over there. It's full of some awesome knowledge. I haven't read your book, but I'm going to I'm oh, good. You have it. to let me know what you think. I'll drop a link in the show notes as well. I will do. I will do, definitely. Just out of interest, does it come in like an audible I, version? Or do I, I need to actually sit down and read it? I an audible version. I've actually been thinking about doing it, but I haven't yet. That's nothing bad. There's nothing wrong with reading. <laughs> Simon's just lazy. I get I'm it. Just lazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Maybe I'll maybe I'll wait a little bit longer to see if you record it. <laughs> or in fact, will you record it? You you probably would. Yeah. Do, right? If, if I was going to put an audiobook out, I would definitely want to be the one to record it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'll put some links to all those websites and social media accounts in the show notes. But thanks for spending some time yeah, with us. Yeah, my been pleasure. Good yes, and thank you know, you I can give much. you guys a link too. I have a free training people can hop into that really walks them through creating a marketing plan for themselves. So obviously the ideal client is part of that, but then how do we, you know, decide (laughs) what are we going to do with that and put it into a plan? It it goes a little deeper into that. So I can send that to you. And for those listening, that's at evolveyourweddingbusiness.com slash webinar. We will of course leave that in the show notes um, for people to check out. Definitely do that with your time. Yeah. Thanks again. Yes, thank, thank you very you. much. And people can find us at Cinemate Films on Instagram, Facebook, and the website's cinematefilms.co.uk forward slash podcast. And I want to apologize for ruining the coffee this morning. No. What? <laughs> yeah. What, what happened there? I'm so sorry. <laughs> sorry, Lee. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I even went to the beans that were the most difficult to get because they were behind so, the desk. Let me... Uh, when I left to go to the toilet, yeah. you were like, how did I change out the beans? Why did you have to change them out if you put the same ones in? Is that what was in them? Yeah. Oh my God. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there was confusion in the office. Anyway, we hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, hit that subscribe button so you know when the next episode goes online. Leave a review, please, because we want to grow this podcast. Or if you're too lazy to do that, tell the cool I'm lazy to just tell a friend. However, uh, until next time, <laughs> <laughs> Greg Butcherton, enjoy your life. <laughs>